Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp. Hi, Allison. Hi. He's a personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool and the advisor on Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. Finding a financial advisor you really click with can be a bit like finding a mate. So today, Megan Brinsfield is back to play the dating game, where we'll ask the important questions like, if we were stranded on a deserted island together with nothing to keep us warm, how would you balance my portfolio taking into account my risk tolerance? You know, sexy stuff. We're also going to talk about 401k loan leakage, where I avoid actually saying leakage because, ew, right? (laughs) All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, I feel like you enjoy making people feel uncomfortable. (laughs) You only say that because I don't shower. No, I'm saying that because of your many Halloween costumes that you've had in the past. Um, your ability to uh, drop your pants at corporate events and moon people. I, and I have underwear on. Let's make it clear to everybody. Yeah. So, so I feel like you enjoy making people feel a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable. And that, I think, is the only reason why you want to talk about 401k loan leakage. Because the L word is horrible. So, first of all, that did not occur to me. I didn't know leakage was such an objectionable term. I think it sounds weird. Rick, do you think it sounds weird? Ew. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Drippage? I mean, what's Did the you what's, say drippage? What's the better term? Let's just move on. And okay, what is 401k loan leakage? And I'm just gonna step back and cover my ears. Okay. So well, first of all, this all came from uh, a post I saw on Vanguard's website, Vanguard being the big mutual fund company. Um, talking about a paper, a research paper found that actually when 401ks offer loans, it can be a good thing, which is a little counterintuitive, right? Most people would think, well, you don't want to be taking loans from your 401k. That's not a good thing. Um, and that's why I thought the post was interesting, because it did present sort of a, uh, a counterpoint to what most people hear. So let me talk, first of all, a little bit about 401k loans before we get into the leakage <sighs> part. Okay, fine. Let's okay. Go. So... Um, most 401ks and other types of plans too, depending on where you work, allow people to take a loan out against their balance. For a 401k, it is uh, the max is fifty thousand dollars or half of your vested balance. Um, you pay a pretty low interest rate. It's usually prime plus one. Prime is three point two point five percent now, so it's pretty low. You pay the interest back to yourself, um, so you're not paying a bank or anything. It's attractive for people who um, maybe have a low credit score and have trouble getting a loan from a bank. Um, So it's a nice source of funds if you need it. The flip side of that is, if you do not repay the loan, then it's considered a distribution from your 401k. You pay taxes and a 10% penalty if you're you're younger than 59 and a half. How long do you have to pay it back? Uh, Generally, you have five years. Oh, okay. I mean, it's the plans, that's the general... Uh, every plan can set their own rules, but that's the general five years. It can be a little longer if you're taking it out for a home-related expense. I was going to say, because putting down a down payment on a house can be something that maybe my husband and I would like to do in the near future. It's so. some, it's, <laughs> it might be something to consider. Really, what, what gets people is that if you leave your job, you then have to repay the loan. You have 60 days to do it, and if not, then, then that is considered a distribution. So you have to need you have to be able to pay the money back in five years, or don't leave your job, and and don't leave your job anytime right. soon. Right, or just be ready to have a big chunk of change sitting on the side there to pay off that loan. Mm-hmm. 
that's where the leakage comes in, according to this research. <laughs> I'm just going to say leakage all over. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> You're killing me! Uh, one of the things that was uh, discovered in this research is actually most loans are repaid, more than 90%. Um, where people get in trouble is when they have to leave the job. And the major when people leave a job or get fired, the majority of those loans are not repaid. And all told, it's about $6 billion worth of loans um, that do not get repaid every year. And you add that to other situations where people are just leaving their job, going from one job to another, Rather than rolling over their old 401k to the new 401k or to an IRA, they just cash it out. Um, that's worth millions and millions and billions of dollars to people, and that's what they mean by the leakage. Are we done talking about? Are we done talking about? <laughs> I, this is very interesting. I think we could have had this conversation without using the word leakage, though. Couldn't we have just had a decent conversation about 401k loans and just left it at that? <laughs> uh, so. so to bring, to bring this conversation back to the topic, uh, I was curious because I know our friend Rick here actually has done the 401k loan thing. Um, and were you glad you did it, Rick? Uh, yes, I did enjoy the 401k loan very much. I liked the idea of borrowing money from myself and paying myself back interest. That seemed somehow, even though I didn't crunch the numbers or do the math, like a better idea than paying somebody else interest. Right. And uh, what, what these are really good for is sort of a short-term loan or a bridge loan. You, you brought up buying a house, right? And sometimes you um, have already bought the house, a new house, before you've sold the old house. Exactly, so you need yeah. Some, so that's a, a good use for it. Um, you do pay the interest to yourself. The flip side of that, some people will say, is if you, that, that interest is not deductible. So if you were to, you know, some forms of home equity loans are. So that's one thing you would consider when you choose one type of loan over another. What did you use your 401k loan for, Rick? Uh, I used it twice. Once for debt consolidation, um, which worked out well. It was kind of at the tail end of credit card debt way back in the day, and I wrapped it all up and used it for that. I uh, paid it off, and then I was done. And the other time, I used it for a car loan. It was just really easy to do, too. The, you don't have to go to Hat in hand to a bank and get like, your credit score sir. pulled and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It, you can do it just on your own without talking to anybody. Yeah. Then one of the other things the study found was that uh, particip participation rates in 401ks with loans are higher, based probably on the belief that um, people are more willing to contribute to a 401k if they know they can get money if they need it. Because otherwise, you have to leave it there till you're 59 and a half at least. And some people are like, oh my gosh, what if I need the money? Mm -hmm. But if the plan offers a loan, they tend to have higher participation rates because then people know, all right, I can get the money if I need it. I, w I mean, I will say the general line on this is that you shouldn't do it. And I would say, of course, if you can resist doing it, it's better. But of the, the sources of funds that are available out there, it's not a bad idea as long as you know you can pay it back within a few years. Okay, so I'm not going to start off by singing Spanish Flea, but we are going to have a little fun today playing the dating game for your advisor. Megan Brinsfield joins us. Are we excited? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, as we were talking about how <laughs> totally. we were talking about how do you pick a financial advisor, and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, it's kind of like finding a trustworthy mate. And then it got me thinking about dating, and then the dating game came, and so. Coming it's a, up, it's a natural coming up progression. after the commercial break, 
We're going to have an episode of the dating game for financial advisors. But first, when do you need to consider getting a financial advisor? I always look at um, anytime there's a life transition. So if you're moving, you're getting married, getting divorced, just aging, you know. <laughs> right before uh, a big decision, like you're yeah. about to retire, or um, I recently spoke with someone who is thinking of selling a business. That's always a good time. But really, any time is not a bad time if you um, don't have the time to figure out all this stuff. We at The Motley Fool are big fans of do-it-yourself investing and do-it-yourself financial planning. But the truth is, it can be complicated. It can be time-consuming. So if you can't do it, it'll pay off over the long run if you can find a good financial advisor or financial planner to help you. So where should you start your search? You've decided you need a financial advisor, some advice. And actually, we should point out that even though you guys are financial advisors, you do seek the opinion of someone else now and then. Totally. Yeah. In fact, this is probably the first time I'll have someone else do my taxes because it's just gotten to a point where it's complicated. I want to make sure I have an an outside expert opinion on what I'm doing. So there's no shame in asking for help. No, not at all. What's your first step? How do you initially go find a financial advisor? We really like looking at NAPFA, which is National Association of Professional Only. I don't even know what it stands for. (laughs) (laughs) NAPFA. Just NAPFA. NAPFA, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Um, we really like them. Yes, like them so, much. so much. We don't, <laughs> don't know even their know name. what it stands I, for. Actually, I'm even just 95 percent sure of that, but I think that's it. Um, and a related organization is the Garrett Planning Network, uh, and you'll see a lot of crossover. A lot of folks who belong to Garrett are also part of NAPFA, and we like them because they are fee-only financial advisors. They charge either an hourly fee, a project fee, or an assets under management fee. They do not charge by commission because that can introduce some conflicted advice into the relationship. As we've talked about in the past. Yes. All right. So once you've gone to Garrett or NAPFA, their websites, typed in your zip code, you've got some options. I'll pop a few options, I'm assuming, in your area. Then it's time for the dating portion of the show. That's right. You should certainly look at a few and meet with a few to see who is the right fit for you. In researching this, the dating game aspect of our show today, I realized that women talk very differently in the 60s and 70s than they do today. Like, you know, these days women get in trouble for having the vocal fry. And talk. You've heard about that, right? No. Nope. Did you get, you haven't heard about this? No. All right. So if you listen to like a podcast like Serial or some of these other um, lesser women podcasts. on radio, lesser, po- yeah, Serial's a lesser <laughs> podcast. Um, and, and just in like, women on TV, women, whatever. These days, they've been criticized for speaking in a way that's called vocal fry, and it's where you kind of uh, at the end of words, like that. Really? Now that I've told you about it, you're going to hear it it everywhere. And so, definitely you can hear it um, with Sarah Koenig on Serial. I'm sure she's gotten tons of flack over it. Uh, now I'm going to feel like I'm doing it all the time. But the point <laughs> is, is that that's how that's how women are getting like shamed for talking these days. But in watching the dating shows um, of yore, the women had these like very sweet little kind of like sultry voices. So I'm going to do my best to put on my sweet sultry voice here <laughs> as I am. Is that working? It's, oh yeah, no, I like it already. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I, all I can camp. say is I hope you pick me in this dating game. This That's all a, I'm saying. This is a pants on, shirt on episode. <laughs> Not like a couple weeks ago. Okay, we're gonna keep it together. All right. Oh, I'm leaving. Forget it. All right. So now I should probably say like cue the music again. 
Alright. Here's my first question. <laughs> advisor number one. Are you the kind of advisor who's the whole package? Or can you just offer specific advice about my money? Retirement analysis, insurance, taxes, massages. What can you do for me? Oh, I can do everything. I can do your investing, your taxes. I'll pay your bills. I'll fix your car. I'll work, I'll work out that kink in your back. And I can do it better than anyone else ever. Ooh. Advisor number two, same question. Are you the whole package? Well, I like to think I know where my strengths and weaknesses lie, so I can help you in those areas where I am personally more knowledgeable than other advisors, like taxes and estate. But for other things, like insurance, I might seek uh, some external counsel to help me uh, advise on your specific situation. Great. (laughs) Question. (laughs) I'm having a hard enough time doing this. Okay, number two. I need an advisor who puts my needs before his or her own. How do you make money, advisor number one? Oh, I make it whenever I can with whomever I can. (laughs) You see, I think we both need to have skin in the game, if you know what I'm saying. That's why I like to charge commissions, because when I convince you to buy something, I earn money. So that puts both of us on the same page. And you see, some people will say, well, if I'm charging by commissions... Doesn't that incentivize me to maybe charge you, give you advice that earns me more money than it makes for you? And I think that actually the more commissions I make from you, the more attractive you become. And don't you want to be attractive? I do. I really want to be attractive. (laughs) (laughs) Advisor number two. Advisor number two. How do you make money? Well, I like everything to be out in the open. So I make sure that I... Use Robert, it. keep your shirt on. <laughs> advisor number one. I mean, advisor number one. Um, so I charge a, a flat fee for my services, and I make sure that you are aware of everything that could be a fee or could be charged um, just on a project base or on a total relationship level. Um, and that way we both know what's being charged and when. Hmm. But that makes it sound like with advisor number one, I don't have to put out as much money. But with advisor number two, I have to pay more. I don't know if I like that. Well, with advisor number one, you're in the dark. You don't know (laughs) when you're putting out. (laughs) And actually, that's not necessarily true, just to make that clear. Over the long term, you can actually pay more in commissions than they're just hidden. You don't know the commissions you're paying. Advisor number one, are you breaking character (laughs) to offer sound financial advice? I'm actually saying that just because what you said I think is misleading. I know. I was saying that to be misleading and sound dumb, so I'm I'm glad that you corrected me. I just broke character, too. We are awful at this. (laughs) All right. Question number three. I like to take things slow and hold on for the long term. What's your investment approach, advisor number one? My approach is life is short and you got to make hay while the sun shines. So fortunately, I have a system that tells me exactly what the market will do over the next 12 months. So I can guarantee you that I can double your money over the next year and it will help if you could actually hand over some of the equity in your home. Thank you very much. Advisor number two, what's your investment approach? 
I like to be very methodical with my investment approach, looking at investing over periods of time because no one knows what the market is going to be doing at any given time, and really believing in a long-term buy-and-hold strategy that's very tax-efficient for you and um, reduces volatility in the long term. Okay. That sounds so boring. You want to go with me, don't you? Guaranteed doubling of money over 12 months. I'm just going to say that one again. That does sound very exciting. Question number four. One of my favorite things to do is cook. Do you eat your own cooking? So to speak. <laughs> well, let me just make clear that if we're together, if there's any cooking being done, you're going to be doing that one. I'm going to be on the couch watching um, when farm tools go wild or something like that. But if you're asking me, if I follow the same advice that I give my clients, I'd say sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. You see, I'm in a very different financial situation than most of my clients. Namely, I can charge them commissions and make money off of them, and they can't do that for me. So I'm more sophisticated than they are. Advisor number two, do you eat your own cooking? When I cook, I make sure that everyone at the table can eat it, meaning my investments are made available to my clients. and. Um, they know that I'm investing in the same vehicles that they're investing in. And so I'm aligned with my clients in that way. Question number five. I hate phonies. Why should I believe a thing you say? Well, first of all, I have been involved in the financial services industry for 20 years. That's if you include the two decades I've spent building up credit card debt of $100,000. In this current role, I've only been in for two years. Um, but I did recently get my Certified Financial Wizard designation, which is only given to a select number of people who send in 100 bucks in a self-addressed stamped envelope. So, I've got that going for me. Advisor number two? Well, I'm very attractive, so <laughs> that should speak for itself. <laughs> but in addition, uh, third parties have <laughs> rendered me knowledgeable, like the Certified Financial Planning Board, and you can go to their website and check out my status. Question number six, and this is the last question. What qualities are you looking for in a potential client? Uh, the six qualities I'm looking for are number one, money, two, moolah, three, opulence, four, assets, if you know what I'm saying, uh, and five, naivete, and six, cash. So if you have those six criteria, I think we will have a long and prosperous relationship, at least as far as I'm concerned. How about you, advisor number two? I know exactly what I'm looking for in a potential client, and it really boils down to those clients that I've had success with in the past. So, anyone that has come out of a business transaction, for instance, or is a small business owner, those are the type of people that I really like to work with. The truth is, I've been listening to this great podcast called Motley Fool Answers. And they've taught me a lot about what to look for in a financial advisor. Those meddling kids! <laughs> so, I'm going to have to go with advisor number two. Ooh! <laughs> Yay! Alright, well thank you guys for indulging me in that little bit of silliness. So, to recap, uh, that was six questions that we think you should ask if you are looking to date, well, hire and enlist the help of a financial advisor. So the first one is to look for someone that is honest and open about what they can and cannot do. So if someone is the whole package, that's amazing, but it's possible that they aren't. So you want to know that you are with someone who is well aware of their blind spots but can still find ways to help you. Number 2, 
Asking how they make money is very important. So, as Bro Camp, as advisor number one, pointed out, he made a lot of money through commissions, which doesn't necessarily align his interests financially with yours. So, you want to look for someone who is uh, fee based uh, primarily. Yes? Fee only. Fee is only. Even better. Fee only yeah. is even better. All right. And you also want to ask them about their investment approach. As you know, here at The Motley Fool, we like it long term. We like to marry for the long term with our investments. And so you want someone who is not looking to churn and burn with your portfolio and try to get fast gains. Also, you want to ask about how they manage their own money. It's possible that they have a little bit more risk tolerance than you do or um, invest slightly differently. But you still want to be aware of, are they eating their own cooking and what is their philosophy for investing generally. Also, number five, looking out for the phonies. There are tons of designations, it sounds like, including Certified Financial Wizard, Robert. I'm, I just exciting. started it, so send me that $100 and the self-addressed stand. But the, uh, the big ones are Certified Financial Planner, uh, CPA, CFA. If you're a CPA, you can also be a PFS, which That's is right. a Personal Financial Specialist, right. which is an equivalent to a CFP. There are other ones. There's a Certified Divorce Counselor, something along those lines, and that is can be a very complicated financial situation. But anyone who gives you any sort of designation, look into it and make sure it's something worth getting. And finally, Asking them what they are looking for in a potential client, because it's possible that your goals and their goals are not aligned. So, um, making sure that you are a good fit for them as much as they are a good fit for you. Yeah, does that sum it up? Yeah, there are people that specialize in everything from lottery winners to divorced women to um, single, you know, young people like myself. Yeah. Entrepreneurs. <laughs> I mean, you you definitely want to be working with someone who works with other people in your situation, and I. I'm sure the advisor feels the same way. They want to be in a situation where they can provide the best advice for someone in your situation. All right. Well, before we go, can you give me one red flag to look out for when you're out checking out financial advisors? Well, the, the big word these days, and it's one we've mentioned before, is fiduciary, which is this legal term. It means that they are putting your interests, the advisor's putting the client's interests first, which you'd think, of course, everyone does that, but actually, uh, many of the folks who are actually brokers, like many of the folks who work for like the Merrill Lynch's and, and Morgan Stanley's, they are not legally obliga obligated to put your interests first. They just have to meet what's called a suitability standard. It's all very boring legal stuff, but basically they can get away with a lot more by not being fiduciaries. Megan, how about you? What's a red flag? Um, I just think that there are a lot of um, voices in financial advice right now, not all of which are um, regulated. So, if you're reading a blog, for instance, you don't know the background of that person that's um, writing the blog. They may or may not be certified. They could just be offering their um, experience and advice around that. And There's nothing wrong with that, but you have to be able to distinguish um, the difference between Someone who's advising you and a certified, you know, knowledgeable capacity, and someone who is just sharing their experience. Um, so I think my red flag is just don't be a passive consumer of financial advice. You have to, you know, be invested and do your own homework. Yeah, I would say that's definitely true. Even if you hire a professional, you have to know enough whether you're getting good advice or not. So it doesn't it doesn't let you off completely off the hook. So what do you do? You go to the internet. Well, not all those folks are exactly qualified either. So, you have to do a good bit of due diligence. Well, congrats, Megan, to winning 
this episode of the dating game for financial <laughs> School advisors. School bro camp. Uh, if this were the real show, we'd be on our way to like a trip to the Bahamas together, which has got to be awkward, right? But instead... <laughs> I, I just met you. Let's go on a trip. <laughs> awful. Awful. But whatever. It was the 60s. Things were weird back then. In 70s? People took trips with strangers in the 60s? So I'm not going to take you to the Bahamas, <laughs> but maybe I'll take you to Panera sometime or something. Whatever. Just as good. We can talk yeah. taxes. Hey. <laughs> What's up? I mean, I mean excuse me. <clears throat> Let's talk taxes. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll just sexy talk each other back and forth, and everyone at Panera is going to be like, what? <laughs> mm. I'd like the baguette. <laughs> You should maybe adjust your withholding. Let's make some estimated payments. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for today. I want to thank Megan Brinsfield for joining us again. Thanks so much. Again, she is a financial planner advisor with Motley Fool Wealth Management, which is a sister company of the Motley Fool. And thanks. You're welcome. You want to come back sometime? Yeah, maybe. Second date. Maybe. <laughs> She's playing hard to get. Yeah. I want to thank everyone who sent in videos with your message to people here at Full HQ. I cannot come close to explaining just how awesome and inspiring all of you are. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. The show is edited swingingly by Rick Engdahl. Thanks to Megan Brinsfield for joining us. And for Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Full on.